Deep in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Hello and welcome to Freaky Friday number 100 Where we, for the past 100 episodes, have told your odd but true stories Thank you for tuning in for all of these these many uh, tale-telling sessions. Thank you to everyone that's sent in a story, whether it's been read on the air or not. Um, it most likely has still been read. There, mm-hmm. I mean, we got a lot, so I'm making my mm-hmm. way through them. But some of my tag for later episodes and some we use right away. So just because you haven't heard it yet doesn't mean you won't. But thank you to everyone that has taken the time, regardless to sit down and write out something that happened to them that they felt moved to share because it has spurred an entire community of people that feel less alone now and realize, oh, that happened to me. Or, gosh, I didn't think I had anything to write about, but then it triggered this memory. And so I think it's become very cathartic for many people, and we owe that to all of you. Yeah, people listening and and the writers, everybody gets a little something out of it. And the stories for today, for number 100, are right in line with our Freaky Friday stories and run the gamut from uh, intriguing to downright horrifying and everything in between. So thanks for uh, not letting us down yet again, you all. I'm excited to get into these today. Well, let's do it. I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Heather, not you. Well, and the subject line is, my psychiatrist was a hypno, the rapist, which if you um, understand, there's going to be some trigger warnings of sexual assault. Hello, Heather and Christy. My name is Heather. Truly, it is one of the best names of the 90s. And I have been listening to your show for a few years now, but it's my first time writing in. I work from home, and as dumb as it sounds, after having little human interaction most days, when I listen in, it's like hanging out with good friends, so thank you for that. This story I have to share is a true story that happened in the late 2000s in a small college town called Pullman, Washington. At that time, I was going to college and was around 22 years old and was dealing with some tough things personally, so I was seeing a very well-known and highly educated psychiatrist whose name I won't mention here, only because he did have a family who were also victims. And although what ultimately went down, as you will find, was horrific and tragic, I have weird mixed feelings when I think about this man, because he did help me turn my life around, but also, I hate what happened. I had been seeing this psychiatrist for a couple of years, and like I said, he was helping me with some very serious issues that were greatly impacting my life such as extreme daily panic attacks and food phobias related to PTSD. Often I would go to his office once a week, and we would sit and talk for one-hour-long sessions and do food aversion therapy, etc. He always seemed like a nice guy, very polite and courteous. He was in his mid-50s, I would say, had a decent family, and traveled from time to time, and even owned a plane, the picture of which was framed and hanging on the wall, which I thought was further evidence of his success in psychiatric care. 
Like, wow, he has his own plane? That's not something everyone has, so he must be really successful. As my sessions continued, I was starting to plateau, so we brought up the ideas of trying hypnotherapy. I had never been hypnotized, so I wondered if maybe he was right and we should give it a try. The day came and I went to my appointment, as usual, and the doctor sat in a chair across from me a few feet away and had me close my eyes and envision a staircase. He slowly walked me through the process of walking down the stairs one by one in my mind's eye until I got to the bottom, which was supposed to be the bottom step of consciousness. I was doing well and everything seemed fine. I could perfectly see the stairs and it seemed to be going okay. Until that is, I reached the bottom stair. All of a sudden, I felt like I was miles away from where I was in the room. Like I knew I was sitting in his office across from him, but he suddenly seemed so far and I was filled with terror and started to freak out. Sensing this, the doctor told me to quickly walk back up the stairs, and I was able to open my eyes and told him I freaked out and would rather not try hypnotherapy again, to which he agreed would be okay. After a few more sessions, I got to the point where I didn't really need to come in as often, so I was deemed healthy and no longer needed his help. I felt amazing that I got my life back and was panic-free for quite some time. Now fast forward about five years later. I'm living in another city in a different state with my new husband, and I'm sitting in our bedroom doom-scrolling on my phone, when suddenly I come across a news article. I stopped in my tracks as I read the headline. Psychiatrist, his name in the article, charged with rape. I couldn't believe it, but read on. Come to find out, the noted psychiatrist had been accused of raping a woman under hypnosis in his office. Samples were taken from the victim, and at that time, the doctor turned himself in and was being held in the county jail. Soon it was discovered that the samples taken matched his DNA, and he hung himself in the cell with a bedsheet. He was found not long after and was taken to the hospital, but ended up not making it. My heart is broken for the woman who was raped, but I am grateful that no others have since come forth to say this happened to them but we can't be certain that it didn't, you know? I will leave you with this. Not long ago, I was cleaning out my closet and I found a burned CD he gave me with his voice recorded on the CD that was used to help guide me through feeling panicked. It's very eerie because on the disc he said, Heather, remember that just because something is possible does not mean that it is necessarily probable. And ultimately, in this case, it turns out what we never thought could be probable was indeed possible and really did happen. Thanks for reading and for listening. Stay safe out there. Heather. This like the ultimate betrayal that you go to somebody for treatment of trauma and are further traumatized in one of the most heinous and intimate ways. Truly, it makes me curious why you felt that panic and fear mm-hmm. and terror when you were about to like go completely under something in your body sensed this isn't right and, and you got and your body got you out of it. Right. You like listening to that. I'm I need to go right now. I need to go back up the stairs. Mm-hmm. I was getting so nervous when she was talking about going all the down all the different stairs. I think because I have such a control freak 
kind of uh, perfectionism like in me that like the idea of being like unconscious around someone really does like freak me out. And the idea of him like purposefully taking you unconscious is eerie in general, but then even more so now with the hindsight to know what he's capable of when someone is in that vulnerable state. Yeah. I don't know if you're unconscious necessarily as you're just very um, under the influence of being hypnotized, but you're still very malleable and your thoughts are, uh, you know, you're not like completely there. So Mm -hmm. that he took advantage of someone that was in that state and might not have understood what was happening or been able to fight back is like you said, the ultimate betrayal and, um, it definitely sounds like he was guilty and he, yeah. uh, knew that and just took care of that himself. Yeah. It took that way out. But the, uh, the concept of using hypnosis to get people to, you know, not like we see in sitcoms where they're like, every time a bell rings, you're going to pretend like you're a chicken. Like that's the kind of hypnosis you see on stage, but the kind where it's used to get women in a vulnerable state so you can take advantage of them. The found footage festival found like a creepy DVD that you could buy in the late eighties. That was like how to basically how to hypnotize women on dates so that they would sleep with you. And the Mm. guys were like, this is the fact that this even exists is like mm-hmm. mind boggling to the fact that it was produced enough that people were selling it is disgusting. And you know, that's wrong. And then to go ahead and do that as a therapist is just the, or a psychologist is the ultimate. Yeah. Truly abhorrent. I'm so glad Heather that you uh, were not one of those victims and that you uh, listened to your mind and your body and, you felt uncomfortable and you said something and you got out of it. Like our people last week, trust your gut. And yes, mm-hmm. Heather is one of the best names of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a TikTok about how like the new young generation, what their old names are now. And Heather. it's like, Ashley is the new Barbara, I heard. Oh, and I was like, oh my me. God. <laughs> yeah, it's like Ashley. We had a lot of Ashley's, Heather's, and Megan. So we're probably the moms now. Like we have the mom name. Oh, yeah. Here. There's a lot of Christie's uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> spelled a million different. I mean, I went True, to yeah. high school. In my graduating class, I probably knew like four or five other Christie's yeah. all spelled differently. So oh, yeah. it was very confusing for everybody. <laughs> but yeah, those uh, definitely... Christy, Heather, Jennifer, no. Ashley. <laughs> those are it. all those are all the Barbaras and the Myrtles now. <laughs> Gut punch. I didn't know I became a Dorothy. Oh no, it's okay. <laughs> oh man, every day something happens to make me think, God, I'm old. I'm much yeah, older I love- than I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I love those uh the moms in the pickup or the drop-off line who are like or the teachers that are like, all right, I teach seventh grade. I'm gonna tell you what's in and what's out per my students, or like mm-hmm. I just dropped my daughter off. I love those because I'm like you know what? I'm not a kid anymore and I'm all right with that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also like, because we have no, you know, uh, inside information, Mm -mm. it's eventually I will. But right now I don't like, how would we know that otherwise? It's, it's very funny to see like, just um, now have like insight into uh, what a six year old thinks and what they talk about. And then, trying to remember back like when I was that age be like god I remember when mm-hmm. you know this type of gossip was like you thought it was just the end of the world or and 
that was the cool thing to do or the cool yeah. thing to say or like I said dude a lot and now the kids oh, apparently yeah. say bruh a lot and yeah mm-hmm. having my nieces be like bruh bruh I'm like who taught you that They're like kids <laughs> at school I'm like I hate it <laughs> but okay oh, yeah it's cute though oh, but yeah. it's not right <laughs> Yeah, I uh, Ella hasn't done a bra, but she will say dude, probably because she hears me and Tommy say <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> Maybe she'll bring that back. I'm I'm just yeah. gonna I'll be like, Ella, we have some um things that we need to watch for history purposes. It's called <laughs> The Simpsons, and we'll be starting with season one, episode one. <laughs> just an education. Uh, they're mm-hmm. like we're like, we don't need homework, we do plenty of homework. <laughs> Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, we got uh, a lot of blankets in this house. My kids love blankets, but none more so than the new Caden Lane blanket that we just ordered for Simon that has his name on it. It's customized and trucks. You could pick from all sorts of different prints and then have his name on it, but he loves cars. So this one's got a bunch of cars and trucks, and now he asks for it by name his truck blankie every night because it is so very soft. Well, that's Caden Lane comes through. Trucks, clothes, whatever you want for your kids and family, they got you. Caden Lane was started in 2005 by a single mom who wanted to create better and cuter clothes, accessories, and keepsakes for her own children and for those special moments you remember forever. Caden Lane makes caregivers' lives easier. That shows up in their Color Me pajamas that help make bedtime fun and enjoyable or hiding extra zips and snaps and outfits to make it easier to get little ones dressed. You see these brands that go viral and you're always like, is this like worth the hype? But with Caden Lane, it absolutely is. They have over 70,000 five-star reviews and millions of customers for a reason. Summertime's coming up. It's getting warmer. And Caden Lane's new swim collection is here for worry free fun in the sun. There is nothing more challenging than trying to slather on sunscreen on kids that just want to get in the pool. And then they got to wait and sit there while it soaks in. Well, you can keep your little one's sensitive skin safe with Caden Lane's UPF 50 plus sun protection swimwear. And best of all, they also have premium quality matching swimsuits for the entire family, if that's your vibe. You can get anything for the entire family. I chose to get Caden Lane. I got a blanket and it says, we love you, mom, and gave it to my mom. And she said that it's a great napping blanket. So whether you're Simon's age all the way up to Noni's age, Mm -hmm. Caden Lane has got something for you. They've got it. Caden Lane is your one-stop shop for all your newborn, infant, and toddler apparel. Head to CadenLane.com slash creepy and use code creepy for 20% off your order. Once again, that's C-A-D-E-N-L-A-N-E.com backslash creepy for 20% off. And make sure you use our promo code creepy so they know we sent you. Well, this next one is from your daughter. Hi, sweetheart. Love you. Anonymous. Um, I'll tell you, she's got quite a harrowing story. The subject line of this one is the list rose above 600 names. And I think he's still out there. And another content warning. This also involves rape and sexual assault. Hi ladies. It's me, Heather's daughter, Anon. I discovered you through M and Christine of, and that's why we drink. I got caught up on all their episodes and luckily had you to keep me going. But now I'm all cut up on yours, too. Oh, no. Guess I'll finally write in one of my own Freaky Fridays. Content warning. Stalking and sexual assault. Also, as the title implies, 
This affected over 600 women, so chances are at least one of them is listening. So if you lived in Colorado or went to Colorado State University, and this is starting to sound like something that might trigger your PTSD, skip my story. Trust me, I get it. Side note, Anonymous did include this person's name, but we haven't been able to find any information online, so we're going to leave that out for now. But if you recognize this story, you probably also know this person's name. Anonymous continues, Based on one quick Google search I did recently of my stalker, this deserving resident of Trash Island may still be out there. I'm not so great at the Google machine, though, so I really hope I'm wrong. Ladies, if you meet him and get that sick feeling in your stomach, trust your gut and leave. All right, buckle up. September of 2001, I had just moved into the dorms as a freshman. The first week of classes, the Twin Towers were attacked in New York, and one month later, on Halloween, a friend of mine was killed in a hit-and-run car accident, just setting the scene for the year I was already facing. But to really tell this story, I need to rewind to the end of my junior year of high school. A friend of mine, who didn't always make great choices, but man, was she fun to be around, had met someone via one of those early messaging programs, AIM, I think. He was a college guy and invited her to meet him in his dorm room at the aforementioned university. While she was excitedly telling me this, my stomach got tight and alarms were going off in my head. I tried to convince her to not go, but seeing as her mind was made up, I told her that at least she wasn't going alone. I insisted on being the third wheel on her date just to be safe. She agreed, and one night we headed out together to go meet this mystery guy. As soon as I laid eyes on him, I got this sick feeling all over my body. I had no reason to feel that way since I'd never met him before, but the feeling was so heavy, I swear I could smell it. The night went on without incident, and we headed back to our hometown together unharmed. I told my friend about the bad feeling I had and asked her to never see him again. She agreed, but knowing her, I knew she was going to give in at some point. Fast forward, we've graduated high school, and we all went our separate ways. My friends each going to a different university from each other. I began my college career alone. And somehow, this guy knew where I was staying. My parents had left, my new roommate was out with her friends getting to know the town, and being the introvert that I am, I was happily enjoying some quiet time in my tiny dorm room with the TV on. Next thing I know, there's a knock at my door, and who should be there but this guy. He heard a rumor that I was enrolled at the same school as him, and wanted to take me to lunch in my dorm room because each dorm room has a different themed restaurant, and he thought it would be nice to show me around. I don't know what I would have said if he'd showed up alone, but he had a young girl with him that he introduced as his girlfriend, and so I agreed to have lunch with them. Later that evening, I thought about him just showing up, but I figured maybe the school had a directory of new students or something. I've never been very tech-savvy or interested in researching those types of things, so it was easy for me to accept my own theory and move along. It wasn't long before I started getting emails and phone calls from who we shall call A. Keep in mind, it's 2001. I still have a landline hooked up in my dorm, and the emails were going to my school email address. So there's no caller ID. And again, my email was at coloradostateuniversity.edu. 
So my theory still lined up. The emails often contained a photo of A's shirtless torso and would go on about how depressed he was and how terrible his parents were. I now know he was beginning to psychologically wear me down so that I'd give in to any of his requests. But being an empathetic 17-year-old at the time, I just felt sorry for him and figured he needed someone to listen. The next time I physically saw him was my 18th birthday. My birthday fell on a weekday, so I had plans to go home to my parents over the weekend to celebrate. (coughs) And wouldn't you know, as soon as I'm alone in my dorm room, knock, knock, knock. Again, no clue how he knew it was my birthday, but the fucker shows up with a box of Mountain Dew, a bottle of alcohol, and says he didn't want me to be alone on my birthday. What a nice gesture. How awful of a person would I be to not let him in? I'll spare the details, but he raped me that night, and I kept it to myself. Didn't report it, didn't even say anything to my roommate. I felt dirty and stupid and embarrassed, and I just wanted to focus on getting through my classes. Fast forward a few days, and he raped me again. How could I let this happen twice? Well, he's just so depressed and feeling suicidal, and he just needs someone to talk to. So if I never said anything to anyone, you can imagine how perplexed I was when I came back to my dorm from class one afternoon to find a voicemail from the campus detective asking me to come in to see him. My dorm was directly across the street from the campus police, so I trotted on over. I was directed into an office and sat down across the desk from the detective. The first words out of his mouth were, Do you know someone named A? Turns out, A had raped someone else on campus, and she told her friends. They took him out to a tree on campus and were attempting to lynch him. People nearby heard screaming and called the police. They got warrants as quick as they could to confiscate his computer and hard drives and cell phone. A had two lists saved on his computer. One list was about 300 names of every girl on campus that he had raped. The second list was only about 10 names long. At the top of the short list was the name of a girl he called his girlfriend, the same girl I'd had lunch with. She was a 16-year-old in high school, and she and her parents all had restraining orders on A. And yet, he would still break into this girl's bedroom and convince her to do whatever he wanted. She also lived in a town a couple hours away from my school, so for her to come have lunch with us that day was no short car ride. Well, guess what? My name also appeared on the short list. To this day, I'll never know what A's intentions were for those of us on his short list. I have to give kudos to the university and this detective for taking the stalking and rape cases so seriously and not wasting any time. I was instructed to not speak to any of the other victims. I mentioned my high school friend's name and found out she was the one that told A I would be on campus. She, unfortunately, was on the longer list of victims. I had to report any communication that A had with me and forwarded emails he sent. I still didn't say anything to my roommate. I just felt so humiliated and I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. One day I came home from classes and my roommate looked like she'd seen a ghost. She asked me if I knew someone named A. He came to the room and knocked on the door. When she opened the door, he just stood there, staring at her. She made a gesture with her hands to the effect of, can I help you? 
He asked to speak with me and she told him that I wasn't home. He still didn't say anything to her, just leaned past her and looked around the room as if I was hiding in a corner. She said it was a long, awkward silence, but eventually he left. I finally told my roommate what was going on. Now fearing for her safety, I told her she should go stay with her boyfriend for the rest of the semester. Being as spooked as she was, she did just that. I go back and forth wondering if that was the right thing to do. I would have never forgiven myself if something had happened to her, but I also spent the rest of the semester feeling like I was living in a glass house with a one-way mirror. He could see me, but I couldn't see him. My dorm was on the ground floor, so I always kept my curtains shut for fear of looking out and seeing him there. I spent two years going back and forth, talking to the detective and being subpoenaed to appear in court. Each time, the court case would be canceled, a new subpoena issued, and more lists of women from other areas of Colorado were discovered. The list eventually got to 600 names long, and the detective alluded to the fact that he was pretty sure they were discovering more as we spoke. I was so numb at that point, I kind of stopped listening, so I don't know the total number of women this asswipe hurt. All I know is the detective and the DA were trying their hardest to present a case that would put A away for life. One day I came home from work to a voicemail on my answering machine, essentially saying that A had been found guilty and was going to prison. I remember just feeling a sense of relief that I no longer had to worry about going in and testifying in the same courtroom as him. I tore my latest subpoena off my fridge and tossed it in the trash. I graduated with my BA, met my husband, built a wonderful, blessed life, and hardly think about A. But unfortunately, the feelings of being watched will always be with me. My house is surrounded by cameras at all angles. I don't answer my door because what if it's him? And walking around my house in the dark always causes my brain to think he's waiting around a corner. What can I say? PTSD is a bitch. If you happen to read my story on air, I hope it simply tells others it's okay to feel what you feel. Live with what you have lived with. It was real. You're not crazy. And don't give another ounce of your energy to him. Live your life guilt-free because that's on him, not on us. I have to thank you ladies for your interview with Debbie Riddle and Dana Flightman from Spark. They gave me so much hope to hear that more work is being done to help people recognize signs of stalking. I was recently watching a documentary about Alice Ruggles, and her mother spoke about a moment when her sister had to explain to her, stalking, as in deer stalking, and what happens to the deer in the end. That's a really good way to put it, that we're treated like something that they can keep their sights on and move in and do what he did, or worse, unfortunately. I'm glad they caught this person, although not soon enough, given the damage he did. It's uh, hard for me to wrap my head around 600 women meeting their uh, horrible fate with this guy. Just that number alone is Mm -hmm. kind of hard to even fathom. Like, where is the time in the day? How does that even, like actually possibly happen. It's uh, mind-blowing. I will say, uh, Anonymous, you said you've built a great life, which is wonderful, and you hardly think about A, 
but in the same breath said, the feelings of being watched will always be with you. Your house is surrounded by cameras at all angles. You don't answer your door because it could be him. And walking around your house in the dark always causes your brain to think he's waiting around a corner. So I would say you do still think quite a bit about what happened to you. And that's okay. Like you said, you're not crazy. You live with it. It was real. And you should live your life guilt-free. I just want you want to also add on to that, that what you and so many others have experienced is real. And it's very important to seek out help. So living with PTSD maybe isn't as big of a bitch as if you're doing it on your own. Yeah. And that's the another thing to consider when we think about how seriously we take crimes like stalking. And it wasn't until the last, you know, 15, 20 years that it was even taken more seriously. And now we're seeing increasing in sentencing because the victim gets a life sentence. So the stalker may get two years, five years, whatever, get out, depending on what the, the, state has determined the severity of their behavior is but regardless when you get stalked we live with it forever you i'm what she said is right though you know i don't think about my stalker all the time but it at least i consider you know doors have to be locked there has to be cameras on and things like that so you're uh you're right it is something that never really leaves you and, and that's okay because it's all fundamentally a part of who we are and everything like that it's just always so annoying that they're not beyond annoying you know it's unjust that they could have a list of 600 people and do that much damage to that many people and then what punishment is even sufficient for that yeah we've we um googled his name quite a bit and looked up many different types of uh court proceedings and documents but we haven't been able to find anything on him so um if you have anything anonymous that you found please send it our way and if you are listening to this and it sounds very familiar and you were at Colorado State University during that time and have a similar story, um, you're also welcome to reach out to us. Yeah, definitely. Just because it's, you know, 2001, the Internet's been, God, I can't believe the Internet's been around as long as it's been. And just the way search engines, uh, in fact, I was watching a whole thing about how they um, – they go through and prioritize newer websites and websites with JavaScript and yada, yada, yada. So just because it's not easily Googleable doesn't mean it didn't happen. But to err on the side of caution, we didn't give his full name. But please do send in. And if you're one of the 600 names on the list or somebody that recognizes what happened and want to put, you know, share your story, please do. Mm-hmm. Well, this next one is from Trash. I feel like we Hell can yeah. all relate to that. And the subject line is, my dog saved my life. Hi, I love your show. Thanks for reading my story. My dog is a large protection breed. Her father was a working protection dog, and the breeder specializes in protection dogs. I didn't have her formally trained in protection, but she does alert to certain things. She'll alert to gunshots and to men behaving erratically. When we're in public, if she sees or hears either of those things... She'll let out one low growl, then grab a hold of her leash and physically pull me out of the area and away from the perceived danger, usually towards our house or car, depending on where we are. She's an amazing dog. Well, one night we were walking in the park near my house. The sun was rapidly setting, and this particular park gets super dark at night. 
I usually don't walk her so late, but I had gotten home from work later than usual. The park was completely empty. It was kind of dark, but as far as I could tell, there was no one around. The one house next to the park entrance had their lights off. It seemed like no one was home. Suddenly, my dog alerted. Her heckles went up. She let out one long, deep growl while looking into the tree line, where people from the neighborhood behind ours often entered the park despite it not being a real entrance. I couldn't see anything, but it was dark in the trees. She then grabbed my leash and pulled me towards the park entrance. She's never alerted to nothing before. Sometimes she's alerted unnecessarily towards teenage boys skateboarding past us, but never at nothing. She hauled ass out of this park. I tried to slow her down once we were out of the park, away from the apparent danger, but she didn't let up. She pulled me all the way home. The next morning, I checked Facebook and saw that the neighborhood Facebook page had blown up. Someone was shot in that park in what was apparently a dispute between two young men over drugs. It happened shortly after sunset, probably not that long after my dog dragged me out of that park. I never heard any gunshots that night, but apparently I was in the park less than an hour before someone was shot and later died. Did my dog see the perpetrator or victim entering the park? Did she sense that the vibes in the park were bad? I don't know, but she took me all the way home, and as a result, I didn't get caught in crossfire or witness a murder that night. I'm so thankful for her all the time. The vet says I need to be a little less thankful. She's getting kind of fat from too many mm-hmm. treats. The proof is just pictures of my sweet, perfect dog. Who oh, my is, gosh. Oh, my goodness gracious. I cannot emphasize enough how perfect this dog is this and how sweet her face is. Sweet little doggy. And, like, you can tell, oh, gosh, she looks like, I don't know if she's full Rottweiler, but definitely yes. part um She's got that big, broad stance. But look at that sweet little smile and face. You know that she is loyal as fuck to trash and would do (laughs) anything. And so sweet and curls up in Trash's lap and just loves on them. Mm. But if shit's about to go down, Mm -hmm. no thank you. I'm getting everybody out of there. And this dog growling and, I mean, could look menacing for sure. yeah. It's like Buffy. She's, I mean, she's a pit bull, but when she's, there's been times someone has come at me when we're walking in a threatening way. Like if just, she's very friendly when people are walking, no bad vibes. But when I was walking her once and a guy got up off a bench to like lunge at me, the way she like bears down and is like, and I was like, my sweet little baby looked evil. And I loved it. (laughs) The goose growls at everyone all the time. She's not a good protection dog. She protects me from nothing all the time. But this baby looks like she is the sweetest, like most cuddly, lovable one. Mm -hmm. But when they snap into that mode, you're best to just go, all right, I guess we're going home now. <laughs> like mm-hmm. She's grabbed the leash and is taking me home. But uh, one of my friends in pre-law school had a big old Rottweiler like that named Hefe. And I've always just Aww. had such a soft spot for, because she would FaceTime with him and he would like get confused about like start going around the <laughs> laptop to try to find her. She's like, Hefe. So I always think of little Hefe, but you got to, you got to trust them dogs when they're trained like that. They know. I've always thought Rottweilers look like big peanut butter cups, yeah. which is their <laughs> brown and kind of the black. They just look so sweet. Yeah. I've known many, and they're all super sweet dogs. But yeah, 
if they are trained to protect you, then protect you, they will do. Yeah, it's like they can hear the the rustling in the bushes that you can't even hear, or maybe even mm-hmm. smell people, or mm-hmm. like you said, kind of smell, or like that sixth sense of like danger that we are, you know, you get your headphones in, or you're thinking about something else, you may not be completely aware of your surroundings, but that dog's just like, what can I find? What can I find? Yeah. Love it. It makes you realize... How much is going on around me that I don't know about? And then right. you get, you know, like a dog that has such heightened senses and, and better senses than us. And you're like, oh, goddamn, I wouldn't have even known that there was somebody right over there. Right. It's like some deal gone wrong in the bushes. Mm-hmm. Like, Pug, but that's why you got your baby to protect you. Well, mm-hmm. she's sweet. Give her extra scratchings from us. And maybe just one treat. I know she's not supposed to have a ton of treats, <laughs> but just like one for being so good. Sinisterhood will be right back. We all know there are things in life you have to compromise on, like, you know, when you want to live in the fanciest part of town, but you're like, my wallet says I've got to live over <laughs> here where I'm, I'm just getting by. Or, uh, you know, a lot of times I want to uh, go and get what I exactly want at the grocery store, a really specific kind of coffee creamer I'm kind of weird about, and then they don't have it. And then I have to go to three stores and I'm like, you know what, whatever, I'll just use the powder and it sucks. <laughs> It's just my coffee, though. It's fine. But when it comes to health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or tell you about their family's group chat or ask you for answers on their crossword puzzle just because they're the only one available in your neighborhood. Don't do it. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. We're all ZocDoc users. Paris Mm -hmm. used ZocDoc to get a primary care. I've used ZocDoc for primary care for specialists. You've used ZocDoc? Oh, yeah. Tommy, too. Yeah. It's the easiest way to you just put all your insurance information yeah. in and then it's like do 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 do. Here you go. Yeah. You don't have to spend hours googling like who's in my network? What do I even do? I don't know. There's specialists so you can filter like like right now I'm needing to find an allergist. So I'm going to go on Sockdoc and find somebody in my area that specializes in that and it's a one-stop shop. It takes all the hard like labor out of finding stuff like this. It makes it easier and you know you're going to get good care because of all those reviews. Sockdoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. Go to ZocDoc.com slash creepy and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash creepy. ZocDoc dot com slash creepy. All right. This next one is from A, and the subject line is Scam Call Scare. Hi, ladies. Love you and the pod. You both help get me through runs, my commute, and dinner prep each and every week. I was listening to the Strip Search phone scam episode, and Heather mentioned a client almost getting scammed by a fake IRS call. And it immediately reminded me of the time where I almost lost $1,200 in one of these calls. Let's get into it. I was 22, had recently graduated with my bachelor's degree, and I was set to start my master's program in a few months. I was working as a case manager and was usually driving patients to and from different places throughout the day. 
One Friday, I was with a client and my phone rang with the caller ID stating the call was coming from Washington, D.C. Since I live in Ohio, I disregarded the call and didn't answer. A minute later, another call from Washington, D.C. came in. And at this point, I'm like, I'll just answer, tell him to leave me alone, and that'll be the end of it. Boy, did I make the wrong decision. Once I answered, a man told me I hadn't paid on my student loans and I had to pay $1,200 today or I would be arrested. What? I said, arrested over student loans? That's ridiculous. I told the man this sounds like a scam, which then led to him screaming at me that they were issuing an arrest warrant. At this point, I'm sweating my ass off, panicked and thinking, I can't just be driving my clients around and get pulled over and arrested. That would be traumatizing. I dropped my client off at their home, then immediately went to my bank and withdrew the $1,200. At that time was almost all the money I had to my name. I drove to Walmart to wire the money to the IRS. And at the money wire place, the employee was like, I don't think you want to send this. Of course, the man had me keep the call going. And when I once again told him, I feel like this is a scam, he again started screaming at me that I would be arrested. I drove to a Western Union and successfully put the wire through. They then said that I had to wait until it cleared. But after like 20 minutes of waiting, I said, I'm in the middle of my workday. Can I please go? And they finally let me hang up after two hours of straight panicking. Once I got out of my car and walked into the lobby of my work, I told the receptionist what had just happened. She stared at me and said, oh, honey, that's a scam. They talked about it on the news. So now I'm panicking and pissed. I called Western Union and asked them to cancel the wire. They said they couldn't, but it hadn't been picked up yet, so if I went back to the branch, I could have it wired back to myself. I immediately got in my car, drove to Western Union, and had the money wired back. Thank God. About a half hour later, the IRS called again, screaming that they didn't get my loan payment, and they were going to have me arrested. So then I yelled back, I'm going to have you arrested because you're all a bunch of scammers. They hung up, and the nightmare ended. That night, I told my boyfriend about what had happened, to which he said, how did you fall for something like that? And I said, well, they were going to arrest me. We both laughed it off and had a few stiff drinks. At the end of the day, I'm so happy I figured it out before they got any of my money. My gut was telling me the whole time something just didn't feel right, but I gave in to the threat of yelling and being arrested. Always, always, always trust your gut, and keep it creepy. Oh, man. A lot of people that uh, we both know and have heard from that are, you know, I mean, people that you would not think would fall victim to something like this. When if they catch you at the right time and you're mm-hmm. already stressed out and you've got people around and you're being threatened, like it does something to your, your like – brain like things don't mm-hmm. start firing the way they should and you kind of just get in this fight or flight mode of like i just i gotta get out almost like a a confession under duress type of situation yeah that's a good way to put it of like they get you in they purposefully say certain things to 
force you into a mindset where then they can manipulate you and get you an otherwise rational person is like dr- like driving to get we some issue we had at legal aid it was like somebody had gotten their family member to drive around and get a bunch of gift cards which like the irs does not want gift cards right but like somehow they had really and this woman was like it wasn't like she you maybe like had dementia and was like much much older you know it was like a lady in her late 40s early 50s just like happened to get caught at the in that wrong moment but that's why it's so so great that like western union doesn't want to take the responsibility to say well we'll stop you from scammers but they do have stuff posted all over their place that says be alert the fbi has told us that there are scammers if you think you're wiring something to the irs it might it probably isn't the irs has its own like i know i have to make fucking payments to it it sucks but it's like the irs epay and it's irs.gov and it's on your schedule they won't arrest you you know if you're late they'll just charge you a penalty they're not going to take you to jail you have to owe like wesley snipes amount of money like i think he owed like two million dollars and like ignored it before they'll take you to jail so they're not going to take you to jail over one twelve hundred dollar loan payment but most people don't know that and mm-hmm. aren't until you start getting and that's why part of my fellowship was like doing outreach to write articles, go on the local, you know, Good Morning Texas stuff to tell people, hey, this is not really the IRS because during COVID it happened where we all started getting contract contact tracing and they started using that to call people and say, hi, I'm with the CDC and I'm doing contact tracing. All I just need is to get, you know, this, 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 and they walk you down and they seem so legit. And they're like, and I just need to get your Medicare number, which they mm. can then charge things to your Medicare. And if you don't, if you have a bank account number so we can verify your identity or, mm-hmm. oh, or just a credit card number and that, like they rob you blind, yeah. but that acting to, it either lulls you into a false sense of security or the, the person that I knew that, that walked all the way down to Western Union, and it was again the Western Union person, like points at the sign and is like, "Scammers." Good are for the, them too to like, be like, "Yeah, we've seen." And think- also that they've clearly had training, and the Walmart mm-hmm. person too at the wire transfer, like, I don't think this is legit. But like, you can't tell someone like, "Don't send this." You can kind of be like, "Hey, heads up, we've seen this before." Good mm-hmm. for them to like point that out to people because. Yeah, someone's screaming at you, you're going to be arrested right now. Mm-hmm. And you're like, fuck, I got clients. This is the middle of the workday. Like, I, mm-hmm. I just want to lose be, my job. I just want to be done with this. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it's an amount of money that isn't a small chunk of change, but, you know, might be attainable for most people. Like, mm-hmm. if they're like, we need $500,000, you're like, <laughs> click. Yeah, <right>. Like, what's <laughs> not happening at all. Yeah. But, Somebody instead goes and basically wipes out their bank account, mm-hmm. which is all they have. And that they may already know that. They may have already looked at your bank account right. and seen how much you have, you know? Somehow hacked you. But mm-hmm. I'm very, very nervous for what the landscape looks like going forward because uh, now because – you don't even have to be a good actor as far as the scammer calling you doesn't have to be a good actor because the rise of AI, the rise of deep fake voices, and it could sound like, you know, somebody you know calling. And that's why a lot of my friend, uh, Ian Ross Phillips, who's a litigator, and I I jokingly will just like call him for, you know, random stuff about the show or if I see articles. And he sent me a uh, YouTuber who made it a point, and you and I should probably do this, to go to the bank and say, hey, enough of my voice data is publicly available on the internet. Like you and I are so like hundreds of hours of our voice is available 
to get a pretty good deep fake, you need about three seconds and the technology is improving. And the more uh, of input you have, the more accurate of a voice fake you could have. So they make a fake Christy voice and they call your bank and say, hi, this is, and they just get to type into a chat thing to respond real time. So the worker's like, oh, okay, well, what, how much money do you need? I just need this. And I just want to confirm this is you. And then they later, the bank later says, well, Miss Wallace, you called us. We have your voice on recording. And you're like, that's not me. That's like a, a fake AI deep fake So how voice. do you stop that? That's what this guy said. He put a notification on the bank account that said, unless I'm physically there in person, do not do any financial transactions out of my mm. account. And having like two-factor authentication on your phone. So if you get an, an alert that mm-hmm. they, they can't, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's freaking me out the more and more we're getting down the the road with how good deep fakes are how because all scammers do is figure out a new way to manipulate like gift cards Mm -hmm. became a popular thing and they're like oh this is a way that money can get transferred and you can never give it back therefore i'm going to call this person and tell them they have to send it a gift card like wires when wires are gone western union cannot help you they cannot bring it back so it's a good thing that in this case, they said, you can come on down here and re- reroute it since it mm-hmm. hasn't been like accepted. So thank God for that. But if you get a phone call, the IRS does not call people. The IRS sends you a letter in the mail. They're old school, baby. <laughs> so they're not going to ever arrest you either unless, like I said, you owe like millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you're probably – they've probably sent you a lot of letters that you ignored. <laughs> I told you about how I think twice now Tommy's grandma has received a call – um, with someone posing as Tommy saying mm-hmm. like, grandma, I got into a car accident. That's why I sound funny because my nose is broken and I'm in jail and I just need this amount of money wired to, and she was smart enough to be like, who is this? And then <laughs> called up and hung up and called Tommy right away. And he's like, no, I'm totally fine. But like you said, you get enough of somebody's voice out there and it sounds exactly like that person. And they prey on older adults who might not be as aware of that type of technology or, you know, people that are in kind of, you know, um, fixed income situations where Mm -hmm. they, uh, they're more likely to maybe fall victim to something like that. Yeah, where you're not quite as savvy. We had a client mm-hmm. that called us, like I said, that, and they said, oh, it says you owe money to this charity. And I'm like, that's actually not how charity works. You never <laughs> have to give money to a charity. Right. It's gratuitous. But th- because he was much older and he had um, Parkinson's-related dementia and was kind of struggling with that. So that the fear, though, is that grandma gets a call and it sounds a thousand percent mm-hmm. like Tommy. And that's the danger that we're moving towards of like, oh, am I going to have to FaceTime my mom so she knows it's me? And it's like, well, they can also do video skins to look like. So what is even real anymore? You got to do like me and Shannon did back in the day. We had a secret password that only we knew. Oh, so there you got to do that. And you do it Everybody in person. have a secret password with <laughs> your kids. Yes. Like we, I remember um, friends growing up. I don't remember if I had one, but I do remember like some of my friends had passwords of like, if anybody ever comes to school and mm-hmm. says they know he, m- your mom and want to pick you up, ask them for the password. And if they don't know it, that you don't get in the car with them. Yeah. So now we go. all got to go back to that. Here's another idea. We get rid of social media we get rid of all of it and we all have to start just handwriting letters and meeting like the 90s and meeting back up in person we can have pagers we can have those back but we uh have to go back to like 
doing things like we did before we had all of this shit that has torn us down. Like earlier today when half the fucking world was about to lose their minds because AT&T was down. <laughs> Nobody could make <laughs> any phone calls. And I'm, and everyone's like, what do I do? How am I going to leave my house? I'm like, like we all did for yeah. the majority of our <laughs> lives. Yeah. They said that no, there was two side. Well, they, they haven't said what caused the outages of the cell phones, but there was a cyber attack that caused outages in pharmacies to say that the pharmacies mm. were just out of all these medicines. So people were trying to get prescriptions filled and the pharmacy entire system had been attacked and couldn't say how much medicine they had if they did and couldn't like it's chaos. We're, we're unfortunately bordering on all it's going to take fucking wall street journal made me paranoid the other day with a short YouTube video, but it was the, an expert in cybersecurity concerns and explaining that this new, that I think on Valentine's day, it came out that there was credible Intel that Russia uh, was looking to do some space nukes because if you, in 1962, the United States tested a space nuke and they shot it up over Hawaii and blew it up and it creates like a huge EMP. It's like an electromagnetic pulse kind of looks like the Aurora Borealis, but it knocked all the satellites out of commission eventually. But the concern would be, we are so now reliant on satellites. What would happen if all the satellites got knocked out all of a sudden? So, Maybe we wouldn't have the internet. I don't know. We'll see what happens. In that case, I told you, the family band, I already texted Christine, from, and that's why we drink an M. I'm like, we're doing this, we're doing we're going to van, we're going to tour around, uh, because we won't have the internet, and this is how we communicate with you all, is through the internet, but all that kind of stuff. It's just, you take it one one step at a time, and I think as much as we can inform each other and our friends and family and for older adults in your family that like fall victim to it not being like really mom you did it because like this gal mm -hmm. was like just out of college it could happen to any of us it doesn't have mm -hmm. you know it does happen more often to older people but it uh it could happen to anybody so just uh you're not going to get arrested if somebody starts screaming the irs also those people they are very hard-working government employees that do not get paid enough to scream at you on the phone <laughs> they're just mm -hmm. like what can i help yes. you with okay i gotta go there's like a hundred people waiting they're not one call with the irs will not take three hours it will take you three hours to talk to someone but they're not gonna stay if on the it line sounds weird and creepy and you're like this isn't right just hang up well because what's the yeah. worst they can do maybe yeah. a cop shows up and you're like well this was uh insane and it didn't sound legit and so you know i mean yeah. you've still got a a uh like case to plead so yeah. no one can harm you over the phone Truly. Just hang yeah. it up. Like yeah. we all, we feel like we can't because they're threatening. Mm -hmm. Like with the strip search scam, which was bananas. But like, just remember, this is just a phone I'm holding in my hand. Click. That's all I got to do mm -hmm. and walk away and go report it. Also, like 99% of the time, if the, the I will just say this 100% of the time, the state police, the city police are not going to come arrest you for a federal incident. It's going to be the FBI. And when the FBI come to arrest you, they never give you a heads up. <laughs> they will come and kick your door in. So you will not get a nice little phone call asking for 1200 bucks. The men in the, the, uh, little windbreakers are just going to come and take you. So you mm -hmm. don't have to worry about it. So if they threaten you on the phone, you're not going to get arrested any other time. You might be. We don't know. What have you been, what have you been doing? <laughs> then, you don't have to worry. You don't have to uh, the buildup and stress of worrying about it because it just happens. They yeah, don't exactly. tell you. It's yeah, happen. it just you can happens. just be anxious all the time, or just never, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you, uh, you did nothing wrong, dear, dear A, and uh, I'm very sorry that that happened to you, though. But I'm glad you got your twelve hundred bucks. 
Yes, I'm very glad that worked out um, before they got it. And I love that they were like, son of a bitch, when they showed up to get it and they realized (laughs) that she'd caught on. And then they have the audacity to call back. Oh, man, that's the thing, too, is like their whole M.O. is just aggression and banking Mm -hmm. on I'm going to wear this person down and make them feel so uncomfortable that eventually they're going to give in. Well, jokes on you and then you yeah then you call someone that's like i got all the fucking time in the world you're a (laughs) scammer i'm gonna report you if you don't hang up right now and then they do because if you start to fight back then yeah they realize you're not an easy target for sure there's a whole subreddit where people get the um text message scams and then we'll like knowing that it's a scammer Mm -hmm. giving them fake information or giving them like the whole storyline of like leslie nope like you're like hey what's your name like my name's leslie and they're like where do you live you're like pawnee indiana and like they don't know so you're you can just like answer really easily like in character and then the end you like send them a picture and they're like fuck you you wasted my time i'm gonna come to your house and kill you and it's like okay good luck finding me in pawnee bye bitch blocks like But and also, do. you wasted my time. Yeah, you open this line of dialogue, yeah. asshole. You're the one that asks for this. Yeah, they get real pissed whenever you scam them back. Sinister Hood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Turner, and the subject line is I saw dead people for six years. Hi, ladies. I first followed you during your crossover with and That's Why We Drink, but started binging around Thanksgiving 2023, and I'm almost caught up. I grew up in Plano and Stephenville, so hearing you talk about DFW gives me so much childhood nostalgia. Thank you for making me laugh as I work my way through grad school and clinicals to become a pathologist assistant. Before I went back to school, I was a death investigator and autopsy assistant in Houston. I saw the best and worst of humanity daily, and while I did like my job and found it meaningful and impactful, COVID took a toll on me, and I had to make a career shift to a different, and less traumatic area of pathology. There are so many stories I could tell you and so many times I've thought about writing in, but it was listening to Amy's story in Freaky Friday episode 74 that did it. As a refresher, her neighbor died traumatically, and she decided not to tell her new neighbors because they had lost their home in a fire and deserved some happiness, a decision I fully support and one I also made, hence my story today. I worked night shift for several years. It was winter, and I was getting home very late on a Saturday morning after a very long and understaffed shift. I noticed my next-door neighbor's garage door was up. Not thinking much of it, I went inside and went to bed. But that evening, when I left for work, the garage was still open. And the next morning and night, it was still open. My neighbor worked on their vehicle and was in their garage not infrequently. So I thought maybe they were just enjoying the nice winter weather over the weekend. Texas winter is really just not summer anyway. I asked my then-boyfriend, now fiancé, to check on the neighbor when he got home Sunday night while I was at work. But he also got off work late, so it wasn't unsurprising that our neighbor didn't answer when he knocked. But Monday morning, when I was again getting home late and the garage door was still open, I walked over to investigate and saw their walker in the back of the car, which was parked in the garage and definitely not being worked on. At that point, I couldn't ignore what my intuition had been whisper-yelling to me my whole shift. I grabbed my fiancé, and we asked our neighbors if they had seen our next-door neighbor over the weekend. No one had. We knocked on the door and rang the bell several times over the course of about 30 minutes with no response. 
We also found that the interior door from the garage was unlocked. Being a death investigator, I knew exactly what was happening. I called the local police department to perform a welfare check. My fiancé offered to go inside and check on them, and I thought about doing it myself. But our neighbor and my fiancé had talked about their firearm collections, mostly antique and handed down through family, and I didn't want to risk it in case they were fine and thought we were intruders. This is Texas, after all. I also didn't want what I knew I would see to be the last memory of my neighbor. The fire department and police arrived shortly and confirmed our neighbor had died. I texted a day shift coworker to give them a heads up and finally went to bed about 20 hours after I'd gotten up. When I went back in for my last shift of the week that night, my coworker who took the report filled me in. My neighbor was older and had many health conditions. I knew of some of our conversations over the past two years. We found it funny we were both diabetic. He had passed from his medical conditions but he was found on the floor after a presumed collapse. I've told so many families that a collapse is quick and sudden, and usually a person is gone before they're on the ground. But in that moment, I found myself asking, what if I had checked on Saturday? What if I called for a welfare truck earlier? Was there anything that could have been done? My coworker obviously recognized the look on my face, and she assured me that they had likely passed late Friday or early Saturday based on the investigation but I still have to tell myself sometimes that I couldn't have known Saturday morning that anything was amiss. Their family sold the house, and a family with a toddler and an expectant mom moved in. The dad of the new family also worked the night shift, so we would give friendly waves as we were leaving for work. I would think, does he know? Did they ask if anyone had died in the house? Is my old neighbor still there in some way? Do they know how much sadness that house holds for another family? Should I tell them? In Texas, only violent deaths have to be revealed when a house is sold, and unless it's a homicide within the past three years, I think, if the buyer doesn't ask, no information has to be given. Like Amy, when the new family came home with their new additions a few months after moving in, their happiness affirmed my decision not to tell them. The house deserves to be haunted by happiness and children laughing, not by griefs and what-ifs. My next-door neighbor and I are both Aggies. Per tradition, I said their name and remember them on muster, a very solemn tradition of honoring deceased Aggies on April 21st. They and their family are still in my thoughts often, as are so many others whose lives have been touched by death. I know from experience that if it was someone else living next door, it likely would have been much longer before my neighbor was found. I'm thankful that his family didn't have to experience the level of grief that brings, but sometimes I still wonder if I could have done more. Thank you for taking the time to read my story. It helps to tell these things from time to time. Amy, you're not alone in your decision. Please know that knowledge of death and trauma like that are not yours to shoulder alone. I'll leave y'all with one of the most impactful things I've heard in my career and has helped me process my own grief. It is a law of physics that energy is not created or destroyed. Everyone that has died is therefore not gone. Their smile, their hugs, their laugh, Each moment you shared with them exists in the world still, and you carry that person you love with you always through the energy you shared. Well, don't feel bad, uh, Turner. You did, like you said, you did it. You probably called some a welfare check-in sooner than most people would have. But I love that that neighbors are looking out for each other. I've 
left my garage door open before mm-hmm. and our neighbor texted me and was like, Hey, just FYI, you know, so look out for your neighbors. I like that. And then, you know, you probably you listen to your gut and you're like, yeah, especially if you're in this line of work, you know, that probably something did happen, but I'm, I like this idea of houses should be haunted by laughter and new memories and not, the tragic things that happened before that are unrelated to the people that live there now. Yeah, exactly. I think that's right. If it's the a blank slate for the family and letting mm-hmm. them have that blank slate and live that way in the blank slate. And I, I love that quote about uh, the law of physics and energy. I had a similar quote in the words I said at my dad's funeral. Uh, that's from a, a John Green book that my friend Gypsy shared with me. So I like that concept of like thinking of it scientifically in terms of energy. It's impossible to create it or destroy it. So it's literally impossible for people to be gone if we're going by the laws of physics. So I love that. And that way, I hope that your your neighbor's energy goes on and stays with their family and is at every uh, A&M football game and, uh, mm. you know, stuff like that where it gets exploded into a million stars and all the places they want to be. But don't don't beat yourself up, Turner. You did, like Christy said, you did what a, a good neighbor would do, which is like, I don't want to be too much in your business, but also I'm concerned about you. You know, mm-hmm. if something is amiss, you know, just reaching out and saying something. So y'all uh, y'all did the right thing. And thank you for all you've done for all, uh, all the families that you helped with your uh, your career and and autopsy and pathology. Yeah, that's not an easy career. And uh, thank you. And I I get it having to change kind of pass. Mm -hmm. So many did when COVID first hit because of the horrors that they saw. So kudos to you for being like, I got to take care of my own mental health and make a change. So I'm okay. Perfectly understandable. Yeah, you got to put that old oxygen mask on yourself first. So Thank you for sharing that with us, Turner. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. Well, this last one is from Emily, speaking of death care, and the subject line is, Our Bodies After Death. Dear Heather and Christy, I was listening to your latest episode on the Paris Catacombs, and my ears perked up when you started discussing issues with our current body disposition options. As a death care professional, I thought I'd take this window of morbid opportunity to give you some insight into what's available for our bodies and how our choices impact the environment. For exactly all the reasons you talked about in the episode, I left my corporate job in the funeral industry and started a company that offers an environmentally conscious alternative to fire cremation. I'll get into the specifics more below, but first, some context. A majority of cemeteries require what is typically known as a burial vault. These are made of concrete and or steel, and the casket then goes inside the vault. The vault is for the preservation of the remains, as well as to keep the cemetery flat for landscaping purposes. In the U.S., it's estimated we bury enough concrete to build a highway from San Francisco to Portland and enough steel to build a Golden Gate Bridge each year. We're also burying millions of gallons of embalming fluid, which may be leaching into the ground, and also are hazardous for the embalmers who have a higher incidence of cancer. And, as you mentioned, we're running out of suitable burial space and could be using that land for the living. Fire cremation, while it doesn't use the land space, is still not great for the environment. Each fire cremation emits about as much CO2 as a 600-mile car trip, so it's not helpful for our climate crisis. I also wanted to dispel some of the myths about what is available. The tree burial pod that has gone viral countless times on social media is not real. 
It was merely an artistic concept that has made its way around the internet. Why isn't it feasible? It would be nearly impossible to get a corpse into the fetal position and transport the pod to a burial space. Also, a decomposing body will emit heat that isn't conducive to the tree's growth and survival. It's a huge disappointment, I know, but let me tell you about the awesome options that are real and available. Human composting, or natural organic reduction, uses alfalfa, wood chips, etc., inside a special vessel where the body will be gently composted and turned into soil. The process can take several months and significantly reduces emissions compared to the burial or flame cremation. Loved ones can get some or all of the soil returned to them, and the rest goes back to the land. There's also the simple option of being buried directly in the earth in a biodegradable container or nothing at all. Typically, natural burial is about three feet in depth rather than six feet like most large cemeteries. Then, nature does what it's done for millions of years for all living creatures and breaks the body down, returning it to the cycle of life. Water cremation, or alkaline hydrolysis, is a method that uses warm water and alkali chemicals to mimic natural decomposition inside a stainless steel vessel. At the end, there are two things left. First is a sterile solution that contains no DNA. This solution can either be returned to the land as fertilizer or safely discharged into wastewater treatment. The second thing left is skeletal remains. The skeletal remains are run through a machine called a cremulator and returned to the family in an urn, just like fire cremation ashes. This process uses approximately 90% less energy and CO2 compared to fire cremation. Death is nothing unfamiliar to me. I lost my mother as a baby and many other loved ones throughout the years. I used my small inheritance to start my business, offering water cremation. We're based in Colorado and return all the water from our process back to the soil so that you can really be a tree and go back to nature. We also offer families opportunities for ritual and ceremony following a death, whether that's an intimate, natural viewing of their loved one or simply lighting a candle and playing their loved one's favorite music as we care for them. I left links to references from the stats mentioned above and a couple videos about my business below. I hope I'm making my mother proud from wherever her spirit is now. Thanks for being a light in the dark and covering the interesting and dark topics we all love to learn about. Emily. P.S. My company is called Be a Tree Cremation, and I'll completely leave it up to you if you want to read that or not. I just wanted to help empower your listeners about what choices they have for their bodies after death. Well, I found this to be so fascinating and interesting mm -hmm. and enlightening and comforting. So thank you so much, Emily. And we definitely want to shout out your company, Be a Tree Cremation. If you're in Colorado, check it out because mm -hmm. I I was just shocked at how even fire cremation, mm -hmm. how bad it is for the environment and how there are other options available that I think at some point, I mean, maybe not in our lifetime, but at some point it's, there's going to be like laws that like you got to mm -hmm. do it like this because we're just yeah. running out of room, you know? I mean, it doesn't make much sense, but that you still offer like, a viewing or, mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a candle with their music. So you do still feel like, even though it's not a traditional funeral, you have a way to kind of mourn and say goodbye 
But I love the idea of me being turned into soil and then Mm -hmm. a garden being planted, you know, like, and then like you really are going back into the earth. I always think about um, six feet under and I mean, this is a spoiler, but it came out a billion (laughs) years ago. I was like, I was in middle school and that show was on. Yeah, it's too late. It's like, do you guys want to know what happened? I'm all in the family and it's like, spoiler (laughs) alert. It's like. It's 50 years ago. <laughs> but uh, still one of the greatest shows um, of all time, in my opinion. But when Nate dies, he wants to go directly into the ground, which mm-hmm. is, you know, pretty poignant since his whole life was spent working in the death uh, and funeral industry and selling people coffins and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But he, they just put him in like a shroud, basically, like mm-hmm. a biodegradable fabric shroud and just put him right in the ground so it can be done and i i was wrong because i thought oh well that leaks out into the water system Mm -hmm. and stuff but i guess if you're in an area where that can be done but at the same time like duh i mean animals die all the time Mm -hmm. and nobody's burying them so that's just for for a long time that's just how it happened and we all did okay Right, we for just, the most part. I mean, yeah. listen to the episode. Yeah, the say, we didn't all do okay. Them. Some of us yeah. were burning candles and washing ourselves with corpse wax. But <laughs> if it's given the right uh, environment, I think it would be okay. But I love the idea of this—the uh, water and then the or, or just being turned into soil. We received another email too that was kind of similar. That. I also want to include, hi, ladies, I was listening to the latest episode on the Paris catacombs, and I thought I should write in with another aftercare alternative becoming popular for remains, aquamation. This is a process by which remains are respectfully placed into a tank to be treated by chemicals which break down the fats and proteins of the remains, which then can be used as fertilizer for farming purposes as they are clean and neutral. The remaining bones could be ground into a powder for keeping in an urn or scattering, much like Emily was talking about. And then also we got to shout out this person's business because she says, my brother-in-law runs an aquamation business for pet aftercare in Edmonton, Alberta, and the city certified the byproduct of the process safe to be disposed of via the normal city drains. My beloved soul dog trigger named after the horse, not a gun passed last year at 12 years old and was treated wonderfully by Nathan and his staff at water to sky and his bones were returned to us and rest in an urn in our home where he can watch over and be with us. So if you're in Edmonton water to sky, and I love that it's not just for humans that yeah. it's been extended to, to pets as well. So no, yeah, I agree. I, I think love the, this. the, the, you're right. We are probably on a precipice as we get more and more, informed about the i was say dangers like what's the amount of stuff we're burying in the ground that much mm-hmm. steel that much concrete that we're burying and to hear that certain death workers have higher incidence of cancer because we insist on this like archaic practice that we know i mean we heard in the catacombs they thought they were doing everything right at, before they dumped all the you know before they figured out the catacombs they're like yeah we just put them in a mass grave and then it breaks down and we just bury over it and it works out great and it's like well now it's been 200 years and like this shit is wrecking our are like it's wreaking havoc so the fact that we can like 
proactively go, we got to stop doing this because people are getting mm-hmm. cancer. We're fucking up the ground. It's not good for the bodies anyway. You know, all that kind of stuff. I'm glad that we're moving towards a more uh, more uh, eco-friendly kind of approach. So we're not mm-hmm. burning CO2 or, uh, or ruining the groundwater or whatever nearby us. Yeah. I think like so many things that we do, traditions, culturally, religiously, they've... It's just always been how it's mm-hmm. been. So everyone comes to accept it and it kind of takes this new push out of usually necessity that, mm-hmm. you know, the tides turn and then this becomes the new normal. But uh, it makes sense to me. I'm pro, I'm pro fertilizer, pro aquamation. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Whatever can be done in a, a safe way that doesn't wreck the environment. And I love that. It can just be if you want to go in the city water supplier, you can go pour it out on the garden or whatever. Kind of like that idea or the of, ocean or something. Yeah, it's safe. It's like a safe way in that you're not like dumping ashes somewhere that, that mm-hmm. they don't need to be dumped. So thank you uh, both Chris Lee for that email about the uh, the aquamation in Canada, as well as Emily for a very insightful list of options for all of us to be thinking about. And as a PSA, as part of your uh, estate planning, I think everybody should have an estate plan and everybody should have. Uh, you can either do like a pre-funeral plan, like if you want to tell your family what you want, or even just a declaration of disposition of remains of like, please cremate me, please whatever, just so your family knows so they don't have to mm-hmm. ask them questions. And it's like a one-time thing that feels uncomfortable to think about, but it's a really good gift that it's a burden off of your shoulders. And then when something does happen to you, because we're all going to die. So FYI, <laughs> when it does happen that your family's <laughs> not- Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Oh, we're uh, all going to die. <laughs> it's on your calendar. You just don't know what day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that way it's one less, it's like a, a final gift that you're like, oh my God, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. Thanks for leaving this for me. So, something to think about too. Well, uh, I'm going on record saying <laughs> I want to become some fertilizer and I want to be planted in the ground. We're like, going we're going to play record. this podcast at the court to tell the the <laughs> probate judge what you want. And they go, we don't know if that's really her or if that's AI. And we're like, well, it is her. And they're like, in the actual episode, she said, what if it's not me? It's AI. It's like, damn it. <laughs> well, we have this hologram because this is like way in the future. <laughs> it's like a True, Princess yeah. Leia. We're going to have like little drones like uh, R2-D2 that'll be a, a Princess Leia style hologram to be like, hello, my name is Heather. And this is what I want done with my estate. <laughs> I also appreciate, while it's disappointing, to uh, know that the tree pod is actually not feasible. (laughs) It makes sense when you think about it because all the diagrams I did see, the body, you know, is in the fetal position. Well, rigor mortis sets in and I don't think you can do that after a minute. So (laughs) I can't binge you the right way. I can't, but... It, uh, at least I know I can still be the fertilizer or wood chips that go into helping the tree grow. Yeah, I didn't know that people th- like were putting bodies under it. I thought it was like a human loamy kind of like, you know, they what I hear here. So I'm glad to know that that's possible. Turn me into some dirt and let me get scattered somewhere mm-hmm. good. Yeah, but for a while, there was also it was kind of like a big pod made out of something that the body would go in and then like you planted that underground and then i there was something i guess in the pod that also Damn. helped but it's turns out it was all just it's a scam an idea an Dang idea it. you know That'd i don't even know if they were selling it or if it was just yeah. like wouldn't this be cool but 
We got some uh, hardcore science facts that things can be done. And Emily listed a lot of very helpful references that we can put in the show notes as well, a bunch of links to different stuff about it. So thank you so much for all that. Thank you very much to everybody that wrote in your stories. Absolutely. For our 100th episode. 100. Let's do 100 100. more. (laughs) We're going to. If you have an odd but true story, you want to contribute to the next 100 episodes. Maybe you've (laughs) encountered Bigfoot. You've seen a UFO. You had a brush with true crime. Or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being. Send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 800 hours of bonus content. Your Honor, we've got a docket for you this week, so you will be ruling on some grievances sent in by our wonderful listeners. If you all aren't familiar with all of the wonderful stuff we have on Patreon, head over right now and sign up for a free trial. For a limited time, we're offering free trials where for a week you can join at any level, try all the perks, binge whatever you want, join us on live streams. We got a a live Q&A February 28th at 8 p.m. Join us on Docuary today if you're listening uh, the very last Friday of February, and we're talking about Naval but you can do that with a free trial just uh if you cancel before the time's up then you know you don't get charged or you can choose to stay and if you do anytime between now and february 29th so time is ticking on this if you sign up for an annual membership it's 16 percent off which is basically like getting two months free so you do it for a week you get a week free then after the week bam sign up for annual blammo you get Two months and one week free. That's how I like to hack and get the best deal. So mm-hmm. that's the hack. If you want to get the best Patreon deal, do it now before February 29th. So time is running out. And what are, what, what's, what are we doing? I kind of spoiled it with Docuary, but what we got going this week? No spoil, just a teaser. We have our last documentary that we'll be discussing of February. Every February we do Docuary, where every Friday at 2 p.m. we go live on Crowdcast and discuss live in the chat with you all what movie we watched that week. This time we've been doing the past uh, award winners for Best Documentary. I believe the Oscars are the 29th? No. Is it on the leap day? No, they're on a weird day. Because I looked the other day and I was like, why are the Oscars so late? And it's going to be... um, well, we're doing it in preparation so everyone could the get 10th. ready. The t- Oh, March 10th. Okay. Yeah. These are past doc winners to get everybody in the mood. And uh, this Friday, we'll be doing the 2022 best doc winner, Navalny. It's very timely right now because he recently died just a week and a half ago. And his wife is going ham on Putin online. She's real pissed, uh, rightfully so. So we'll be discussing that newest development as well as the documentary, which is wild. I've seen it before. It's wild. I'm going to watch it again because I got to have a refresher and then we'll go live and talk about it. Yeah. It's, they've been very fun all month. So you can join for that. And also our live Q and a for the month is the 28th. So if you time it right, 
your free trial can get you all sorts of goodies. Yeah, that's true. You get all the live shit free. That's the best one. <laughs> the best thing mm-hmm. is to be live and hang out with us. And that's what we love. It's like my favorite part of Patreon is being able to hang out with you all. And when you join, you get ad-free episodes, all these live streams, weekly bonus content like Judge Christie coming this week, monthly mini-sodes, merch discounts, and a community of the best listeners on the whole internet. So join now between now and February 29th so you get the most annual savings. It does end on the 29th and perks vary by tier. And that Q&A is the 28th at 8 p.m. Central. We'll see you then. It's, uh, they're always so much fun. It's going to be a hoot. <laughs> they really are. They're so uh, much fun. Head over to Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to get Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. And speaking of deals, right now we have deep discounts on our uh, tour merch from years past. So get you a cool shirt. The design from the 2022 show at the Texas Theater is one of my favorite merch shirts we've ever had. It's just a mm-hmm. dope country ass skeleton with a hat on sizes and uh quantities are limited so get on there and get it before they are sold out we're getting sold out on a lot of those at sinisterhood.com click shop on the top banner while you're on our website you can also review the show follow us on socials and check out the episode description you'll also find fun things like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets we're gonna go be We're going to be going back out on tour soon. We're finalizing dates and cities right now. If you're a patron, you get first dibs on tickets, including VIP tickets, which are limited. So another perk for signing up over there. Definitely. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Follow us over on our YouTube channel where we've got all kinds of clips to show you. We got full episodes they come out early and ad free on patreon and then drop a few days later on youtube so hit that subscribe and notification button so you are made aware right when they drop and follow us on tiktok we're posting we've got some long videos on tiktok some short videos on tiktok we're playing with it playing with the old tiktok we've got some new stuff coming for you so both of those are at sinisterhood podcast and if you want a video of us and you tell us what to say go to cameo.com and order your custom video shout out where we can celebrate whatever you want with you happy birthday happy Happy anniversary, congrats on your wedding, etc. Whatever you want to say, we want to share that message at cameo.com slash sinisterhood. Where are you at? Can online? I say Oh, please well, say whatever you want. Can I say that last night yes. I was just like, you know, I kind of need a little pick-me-up when I was trying to go to bed and I opened Cameo and we have I think 52 five-star reviews. Every review has been five-star. And I was reading the comments people leave Mm. and got like welled up because they were all so nice and just like so much thought was put into this. You guys just really made my day. I've gone back and watched this or I got this for my wife's birthday. I couldn't even wait to give it to her. She's so happy. She cried. Like Mm. it's a... it's very humbling for people to want to like have us be included in a wedding day or say congratulations or a birthday or even a pep talk. So I, I felt really good that I was like, man, these are 52 people that we made them really happy. And that might be a small number in the grand realm of things, but like, 52 people that we don't even really know are happier because we did something for them. And I'm kind of tooting our own horn at this point, but go get a cameo (laughs) because we really do. And it's not even like we put a lot of effort into it. We just do what comes natural, which would be talking to you in a natural, like kind, encouraging way. So the effort is like 
taking in what you asked us to do and genuinely answering in, in an honest and vulnerable way and not like it's dressed up, it's fake. There's like lights, mm-hmm. camera action. It's like you're on the porch with us and we want to be your friend and, and be able to pass those messages on. So thanks to everybody that's left a review and more so thanks to everybody that's ordered and let us be a part of whatever you're doing, whether you had a new baby, you're getting married, any of that, giving us, getting, asking us to give you advice or give recommendations on stuff. Like we love it. So cameo.com mm-hmm. and uh, let us talk to you because it's a, it gives us a, too <laughs> well where can the nice folks find you online i am on instagram at christy and wallace threads at christy and wallace and tiktok at christy or gtfo heather I'm pretty much everywhere at heather versus the world as always the devil rules the airwaves keep it creepy Sin and-